Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 33, with Tim Oliver. Episode 33 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. We're fresh off the 2015 Masters, and today's guest is only fitting as we head full force into golf season. Today on the show, I'm happy to welcome Tim Oliver. Tim is an art director at Golf Digest Magazine, where he has been working for 15 plus years in both print and digital. Tim's work has garnered numerous awards from the likes of organizations such as the Society of Publication Design, Society of Newspaper Design, and more. He has also created book designs for famous golfers such as Phil Mickelson, Tom Watson, and Nick Faldo, in addition to books for the Tennessee Volunteers football team and the Green Bay Packers. Welcome to the show, Tim. I'm appreciative of you taking time to join the podcast. Oh, Adam, no problem. Welcome from Yukon Territory. And sorry to hear that about your Kentucky Wildcats, but we were very happy to see them lose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm sure. That's, <laughs> so have you brutal. recovered yet? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a lot better. I was pretty, uh, <laughs> I was pretty uh, melancholy for a couple of days, but uh, yeah, feeling yeah, good now. Well, it's a new season. We got we got, <laughs> we got the recruits reloading and and feeling good about it. So <laughs> yeah, well, it, I guess it spoiled a lot of pools. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, well, Tim, I gave a brief introduction uh, in the intro, but I'd like to give you, uh, let you uh, go a little bit more in depth in telling your story. Can you give us a little more about your background and your eventual path leading up to where you are today? Yeah, I I think uh, from working with people in the industry, in the magazine business, that I have taken a very non-traditional uh, path to where I am now. So I guess what I'll, I'll I would started uh, as a kid, I was, uh, I delivered newspapers. I don't know if you remember what newspapers are, but <laughs> I delivered newspapers as a kid and I was fascinated about newspapers and baseball cards. And uh, my favorite teams were the Mets and the, for some reason, the Montreal Canadiens and the, uh, and the Dallas Cowboys. And I used to just draw their logos all the time, all over my books and my notebooks. And and I just loved baseball cards. I didn't know it at the time. I think a, a couple of your other guests may have said this. I didn't know at the time, but it was kind of an introduction to graphic design and photography. And there's just something that was really special and cool about, about baseball cards and newspapers in general. So... Uh, I want, as a kid, you know, you find out pretty quickly whether you're going to be an athlete or not. Um, I found out that I, I, I wanted to really, uh, my dream was to, uh, uh, to be the radio uh, announcer of the New York Mets, and that has not happened yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> so somehow I've fallen into this. So what happened to me is I went to, um, I went to high school in, in Connecticut, and then I went to Fordham University, uh, for college, a uh, liberal arts major, communication major, which they always say, if you don't know what you're going to do, be a communication. <laughs> um, and I was going to be a writer. That was my, my goal in college. I had 
read all the president's men. I've seen the movie and uh, as a kid, and I said, wow, you know, being an investigative reporter is kind of like the thing. So I went into Fordham and that's what I was doing. I was taking creative writing classes and I was was on the the alternative paper called The Paper. Um, And I was writing some stories for them. And one day uh, the editor says to me, hey, we put this thing together on Friday and Saturday nights. Do you want to come in? And I did. And you you come into the production room and they're just blank pages everywhere, boards at the time, you know, no real computers like we have now. We did it by hand, essentially. And uh, this is in the 80s. Uh, and then I just was fascinated by the fact that there was nothing on the page and you had to produce something. And that just sparked the whole thing for me of like, wow, you know, I should, I'm really interested in, in the visuals of this, visual communication as opposed to writing. Uh, but when I graduated from Fordham, I couldn't find any class, any uh, people that would that would hire me as a graphic designer. So I was a reporter when I first got out of college, and I did that for about six months or so. And then um, what happened is one night there was a, I saw a job posting for an overnight graphic designer in the newspaper, and it was like two o'clock in the morning till ten, I think, in the morning the next, you know, the same day. And I said, oh, I'm going to apply for that. My editor said to me when I applied, he goes, why do you want to do that? It's like reporter is such a more glamorous job. Anybody can design pages. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but this is what I really want to do. And, that's, and that was with Gannett Westchester. And that's where I started. I started in Gannett Westchester, stayed there a couple of years, working overnight shift pretty much and learning pagination in the Mac and that sort of thing. And I just uh, went to Atlanta Journal-Constitution in the late 80s. Uh, because there used to be this service uh, pre-internet that was called, uh, I think, Job Bank or something like that. And it was for graphic designers. And uh, I think they would send you a letter in the mail if they had an opening once you subscribed to their service. And there was an, you just said where you wanted to work, and they would send you job listings. And their Atlanta Journal-Constitution had a copy editor slash designer job available. And I'm like, okay, I never... Lived down south. I was single at the time. I said, I'll just do it. And, and that's what I did. And that's a big publication. Yeah. And I, I, worked, there, I worked in Atlanta for five years. And uh, uh, in the, in the, at nighttime, I would, I would uh, copy edit and design. And in the daytime, I would play hockey or golf. Uh, I, so I didn't know there were hockey rings down in Atlanta, but uh, I started joining teams down there and played hockey. Because uh, I still always had that sports uh, in my background that I always wanted to do, so I always was interested really in sports and and politics and news. It's kind of a weird mix, but that's my, two of my favorite things. And like many newspaper designers, you can really, you know, before Craigslist and Amazon and and a lot of the kind of the fall of newspapers, there was a lot of moving around. You could really much get a job any two or three years if you if you were willing to move. So I went from Atlanta to uh, Asbury Park, New Jersey, Asbury Park Press, which was a hotbed of designers at the time um, that have gone into other things, you know, web design, magazine design. But it was a little, little paper, family-owned paper. And I got to design the sports page and page one the same night. And that was like a big big deal. So to do both. So I was like, wow, I get to, I get to do both. Um, one of the biggest stories that happened when I was in Asbury Park is when Magic Johnson announced the world he had AIDS. And that oh, was wow. like, whoa, that was a big deal at the time. It was like probably one of the biggest stories that we were working on uh, that I can remember. 
And uh, but what happens is when you're in when you're in these uh, newspapers at the time, they would have these conferences all around the country once a year, Washington, San Francisco, Miami, wherever. And people would haul their giant portfolios, these giant newspaper portfolios with them. And you'd have other design directors critique them from around the country. And then I would walk into these conference rooms and there'd be just job listings posted on the wall everywhere. And you're like, wow, you can work anywhere you want. And for some reason, I decided to go to Detroit. (laughs) And I worked at Detroit Free Press for a couple of years. Um, And again, at the time for designers, New Jersey and Detroit, these were these were places that you wouldn't think of, but these were places that were really talented designers. Uh, and there's something about newspapers that you get this new sense, but you also, because of the time pressure, you have to kind of go with your first instinct many times uh, when it's, when you're designing. And I'm trying to complete the journey here for you, but from Detroit, I worked there for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, there, there's certain things in your life you got to make a decision about. And I was offered a job at the uh, Boulder Daily Camera newspaper in Colorado. And then I had another offer at the same time at the New York Times. And I'm saying, man, I'm not staying in Detroit. But I said, if, if I get on this plane to go to Colorado, I'm never going to get back. I'm, I'm going to just stay in Colorado because it's so beautiful out there. Right. But my dream was, like a lot of people... Uh, in journalism, I also worked in the New York Times, and I, I couldn't turn it down. So I, they made me go there. I had to take a week off of the Detroit Free Press. I had to do a, um, I had to do a test. Basically, they sat me in a cube, and I and they gave me like twenty stories, uh, all like really paid one stories, and I had to pick six of them, write headlines for them, design the page, and then write a report on like why I picked these six stories. And left out the other 14. So I did all that. Nobody talked to me for like a week. I go back to Detroit. I don't hear anything from the New York Times for like three months. Nothing. And then I get a call and they said, we want to hire you. Can you start next week? And I'm like, whoa, how does this work? So, And I was one of the first. um, The Times had feature well designers and magazine designers for the magazine. But they never had any news designers. They had people that would just draw layouts, but they didn't have people who knew the Macintosh and were really going to fight the, you know, the, uh, the, you know, the fight for, for pictures and for graphics and that sort of thing. And um, so uh, Joseph and I were the two first ones who went in there. And, you know, I went from the times I I worked there for five years uh, and I loved it. I thought it was going to kill me though, because it's a, it's an intensely uh, pressured place, but it's a brilliant place. Um, and I, but I got the inkling that I really wanted to jump into magazines just to kind of challenge myself. And I went to Time Magazine for a year. And then my daughter was about to be born and, and uh, I lived in Connecticut. And I said, you know what? This Time Magazine 18-hour shift is probably not for me. And uh, uh, Golf Digest had an opening and they were owned by the New York Times at the time. So I knew some people there and uh, sure enough, I've, I've landed there in 2000 and I have not left uh, because it, it puts two of my favorite things together, sports and design and, uh, 
I try to challenge myself every day. And, that, and that's where I am now. And I freelance, of course, on the side, as you've, as you've uh, talked about. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's kind of a long journey that I've been on. Right. Well, uh, you know, you've been there for 15 years. And I've noticed yeah. even some of the other people that I've seen just on LinkedIn or wherever, they tend to stay um, at the publication for a long time. That's really rare in this day and age. So what, what would you say keeps the workers so loyal to that brand? Uh, well, I think with Golf Digest, first of all, it's a it's a continent. We're, we're owned by Condonast. Right. Condonast is a great com- company, um, but we're kind of off on our own. Uh, in that we are in Connecticut, and the uh, although we have offices in New York, the the rest of the magazines, except for Wired, are done in One World Trade. So that's a little background. But I think to answer your question, I think what it really comes down to is these are journalists for the most part who love golf. I mean, this is for them, the New York Times. Just why you see some reporters go to the Times and, or the Wall Street Journal and they never leave because they just love it so much. This is like the, the pinnacle for them. I think for people that I work with, um, since they're not on the PGA Tour, or the LPGA Tour, uh, Golf Digest is probably the next best thing. And there are a lot of perks to their jobs. They get to, for the most part, uh, they get to travel around the country and and meet with the top pros and re- report about their lives and um, and just kind of uh, take in the whole uh, passion of, of golf, you know, the whole life of golf. So I think for a lot of these folks here uh, who grew up playing golf, unlike myself, they, they really love uh, working here. Wow, that's awesome. I actually heard some advice one time. I can't remember what I was reading, um, but it was something along the lines of, take the thing that you're good at and the thing that you love and try to marry those things together. So it sounds like that's the, that's the path. And that's kind of the path of sports designers today. Right. Absolutely. Well, some people say, you know, if you, if you would do it for free, that's the place you should, you should be at. Right. So, <laughs> right. Right. Um, Not that I don't think anybody does it for free. But. Yeah, it, it would be tough to do it for free if you love golf though. Cause you, <laughs> it's, it's not the cheapest game in the world to play. <laughs> no, but you know, I guess one of the common misconceptions is that, uh, Golf is just for older people, oh, right, and they're right. all in private country clubs, and everybody's white, and and clearly that's really not the case. I mean, we really are making a big pitch for millennials. They they make up a big percentage of golf, and the whole definition of golf is changing from whether it's eighteen holes or whether it's uh, playing a game at a place like called Top Golf. Most golf is played on municipal co- courses. Um, a lot of golf, especially in other parts of the country outside the Northeast, is very inexpensive. So in regards, especially when you can compare it to other other entertainment things that, you know, movies or trips or whatever, golf is pretty good value if you really shop around right. and know your stuff. Right. And I definitely want to touch on things like top golf here in a little bit. But real quick, I'd love to, um, I know that you do a little bit of a little bit of both. You work a little bit in digital and a little bit in yes. print. So I'd love to hear just what a what a typical day is like at Golf Digest uh, in your role. <laughs> it seems like it's changing a lot from in the last year or so. Certainly, things are changing. We there is a big emphasis on digital in the magazine. Obviously, the the, the core of the magazine of the brand is 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 the printed version of the magazine. It's from where. It's a mothership, and everything revolves around it. 
But more, what's happening more and more is that digital is really put its foot forward in lack of a better term. And we really are paying a lot of attention to digital. So to answer your question, a typical day is the primary focus for me is I have a staff, I have a creative director over me and I'm his number two. And uh, Ken DeLago, who is a fantastic creative director. He's one of the most talented designers I've ever met in my life. He he came from GQ to Golf Digest, and he loves golf, and he's a great golfer. All that being said, he delegates to me the staff, and I have uh, two full-time uh, art directors underneath me, and then I have uh, three to four freelancers, depending on the month. And the, the job is... Um, to basically design for the magazine, and I, which I love doing, and manage the staff, which I've kind of learned to do over the years. Because a lot of designers who become creative directors and design directors, they can tell you whatever they want. They were, they're great designers or really talented at design, and somehow they've just risen to be management, which they weren't looking to do, but, but now they, they do that. So what I do is... The, the four of us who are staff members design the magazine. The three freelancers, for the most part, assist with the iPad and the Kindle. Um, and then we, we do a little stuff for the web here and there. We also have two um, digital products called Golf World, and which is a weekly, and, and Golf Digest Sticks. And I design both of those as well. Um, the creative director designs Golf World half the time with me. So we're now working on Sunday nights, which we weren't doing six months ago. But it's the nature of magazines, especially Golf Digest, is we've gone from a monthly to kind of a 24-hour operation when you count the website right. and, and all the digital stuff we do. And it's interesting because I'm kind of going back to where I was. I was in a – I worked in dailies, weeklies, and monthlies, and now I'm kind of going back into a daily mode, if that makes any sense. Right. Right. So every day is is different. Like like today, I I'm working on the iPad uh, as an example. Uh, tomorrow, I'll probably start working on the next issue of Golf Digest, which we just closed. We just closed the June issue of the magazine. So if that I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, I, I, you know, you you tend to do a lot of variety of stuff, but I kind of wanted to go down real quick this other path. And a year ago, I'm a subscriber of Golf Digest, uh, so so I'm obviously familiar with the work, and and, and that's yes. a lot of the reason why I wanted you to come on the show as well. Changed a lot in a year. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so a year ago, um, well, you're, well, I will say your millennial thing is working. I'm a millennial, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, you are you are a reader. We're going after you big time. <laughs> yeah. Well, a year ago, and kind of going down that path a little bit, you guys launched a major redesign complete with a new yes. masthead. Uh, I was curious if you could talk a little about, uh, about that process behind that and, and what it's like to work with a firm. I think Pentagram did that redesign. And, and maybe touch on yes. the reasons why you, you know, with talent at the, at the company, why you guys decided to kind of go outside and get somebody to come in and, and redo that for you. You know, it's so interesting you ask that because – we were wrestling with that question. Um, you know, Ken was uh, really the lead in dealing with Pentagram. And he said to me something interesting. I said to him, I said, Ken, we can lock ourselves in an office and we can come up with something that we really like and we can sell it. And he said to me, Tim, when you're, he goes, creative people can't be afraid of letting other creative people um, look at their work or expose their work or uh, I'm trying to remember the exact term he used, but basically don't be afraid of it if it being critiqued. And sometimes 
to breathe life into the magazine, it's good to give it to another creative person with a cold eye and have them look at it. So, boy, that was a great attitude. He went in with, with that attitude with Pentagram. Pentagram's highly thought of within Condé Nast. I mean, there's other firms and other people that we looked at and, and could have pursued, but but Pentagram has a really good track record within the magazine and and obviously with Time and other people like that. So um, it seemed like it was a good move to use them, and, and Ken was very influential in, in his meetings with them. But... I think it was just a joint effort and they just really looked at the, at the magazine. And um, I think for Ken is, and for me, we were pushing for a new look, especially on the, on the logo itself to kind of really modernize golf digest and take it to trying to tell people that this is, you know, this is a great house, but it's, it's a, it's a house that's being modernized and you're going to love the new golf digest. And, like anything, it, when people are familiar with something, it changes something that a lot of readers have to get used to. But I think our readership really trusts us uh, to know that we really care about them and we care. We, we have such a passion for the game that um, they're going to let us do this. And uh, I think we've I think we've done a really good job because we've turned the magazine in a totally different direction, but still trying to keep. Uh, true to its core values, if that makes any yes, sense. Yes, absolutely. And and I know a part of that modernization, um, as I've read and as you just stated, is to kind of appeal to a younger audience without also losing the older audience. And uh, Yes, that's the challenge. And, and absolutely. So I, I know that... Um, I know that your position probably doesn't necessarily measure like analytical data or, or anything like that. But, you know, I'm curious in, in the year that you guys have launched this and you've kind of brought on non-professional golfers and celebrities on some of the covers. I'm curious about some of the feedback that you've gotten from both millennials and from maybe some of the more traditional audience. Well, I mean, to, to your point of who we put on the cover and we've, we've had Johnny Menzel and Jimmy Fallon and, uh, obviously Rory McIlroy, people like that uh, on the cover. So it's a big radical change from some of the star teachers and some of the star players that you would have come to expect, like Butch Harmon, David Ledbetter, and that. I think um, I th- the company really believes that this is the right direction and that it is successful. Um, from the feedback we've gotten uh, from advertisers and from a lot of readers has been very positive. Clearly, there are some readers that are not happy uh, with any with any change in any magazine. If the New York Times tomorrow changed their font to their or their weather page, certain amount of readers would not be happy about right. it. Um, I I remember I was at the Times, and the editor of the Times always said to me, "Never try to uh, tell me what the readers that you know the readers and what they want. Build the best newspaper in that case, the Times, or the best magazine, and people." trust you and they're going to follow you. So we, we said, let's build the magazine that we really are passionate about. Some of the stories that are in the magazine now are stories that we talked about in the halls, but we didn't necessarily publish. Some of the people we want on the cover are now are people we always thought could be, you know, are into the golf life, but we never put them on the cover before. So it was kind of us just, I think, shedding our own fear a little bit and our own history and saying, you know what, we're... We, we have a really good brand. People are going to trust us. We are going to get some flack. But that's part of trying to be creative and trying to lead change. You just can't. We could sit and keep doing what we were doing for years. But I, I think that the, uh, you know, Jerry Tardy, the editor, and, and the management, Connie Nass, has enough uh, 
foresight, I guess is the best word, to say, wait a minute, just when you think you're resting on your laurels is the time to change. And clearly publishing is under some pressures um, to do different things and and, and to um, really extend its brand over all our platforms. And and this helped us with the website and the digital products as well. So I think there's been overall pretty positive. Clearly, you're going to get some negative along the way. But that's what we expected. Right, right. And, and I doubt that uh, somebody is not going to unsubscribe from the magazine because they don't like a font change. <laughs> no, they might unsubscribe from the magazine for different reasons. Right, Either the right. price going up or they don't like the subject on the cover or – you know, things like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, Lexi Thompson's on our cover right now, and it's getting a lot of, uh, I mean, it was on SNL. It's it, it's getting a lot of feedback, good and bad. Right. Uh, because she's uh, essentially topples on the cover. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that's actually, uh, to kind of go down that path a little bit, uh, you know, obviously your sort of traditional audience being maybe if I was to cons- uh, assume a little more conservative and, you know, in the last year, just like we talked about, you've kind of got some other celebrities that like golf that might not be professional golfers, but you've kind of <laughs> went into just, just as you say, the little more racy cover design, such as the master's preview with Rory and, uh, and then the Paul, uh, Paulina Gretzky cover a, few, right, uh, a right. year ago. And then obviously the current one out right now with Lexi Thompson. So I'm curious as an art director working for the publication that's seen this transition over time what has it been like for yourself moving into kind of that more edgy look from maybe your own personal visual aesthetic well i i love that the covers are are clean and they're showing the personalities of the golfers and that a lot of people i mean i think what it comes down to is we broaden the definition of who a golfer is so for instance jimmy fallon it's, to me, it was great. It's like instead of – I look at it like the magazine is getting contemporary. It's it's coming out of maybe the 90s or the 80s, and it's really now taking its place along GQ and Men's Health and Vanity Fair. You know, it's a lifestyle magazine. It's a magazine about passion. You know, other magazines are about fashion or about health. So I, I look at it like, thank you. You know, I'm, re- I'm really happy to, to see this. Um, you know, we can debate about who should be on the cover and and how how they're posing and that sort of thing. But I think overall, I've been very happy with how the magazine has has really turned itself and trying to lead change in golf. Um, there are certain, you know, we can have internal disagreements about whether somebody's cover worthy or not. I think that happens at every magazine. And that's healthy discussion. That, that's what should happen. Um, so, but I think we just raised the level all throughout the magazine of photography, writing, typography, graphics. And for us, it's a new challenge in design. It's a, it's a challenge. The golf, golf the, the professional golf is changing. Publishing is changing. So we kind of have to keep up with the times. And um, I think instead of just, like I said before, instead of sitting back and doing what we were doing before, we kind of gave ourselves a little kick in the rear end, right. so to speak. Well, I have to say that I think that um, I mean, as a millennial, I think it's a great move for you guys, especially with um, even even just the, um, you know, Michelle Wee cover where she's, uh, you know, not wearing traditional golf garb, you know, right. more street right. or workout apparel and, and that type of thing. And, and bringing those types of things that kind of make the game a little more quote unquote cool, you know, for maybe some of the younger people that that didn't get to see yeah. the the rise of Tiger. 
you know. Well, and the thing about it is, is Michelle Wee and, and Jimmy Fallon, people like that, they have great stories to tell. It's like how they got into golf. I mean, Michelle Wee and Lexi Thompson and some of the other women on the LPGA Tour are phenomenal athletes. They, they're, they're workout machines. And story ideas sometimes come from their Instagram accounts or their Twitter, you know, their Twitter accounts or what they're posting on Facebook. So I think we're trying to celebrate golfers as as athletes and as people that come from all different parts of life, from entertainment, from film, from music, uh, from politics, that are, that are, they're golfers. It's, it's, it's what they identify themselves with. But they're also famous for being the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns, right. or they're famous for being, you know, the, the late night talk show host. Right. So it's what your definition of golf is. Yeah. And I, I uh, to kind of touch on that, I thought that uh, Johnny's, Johnny Football's story was, was quite interesting. I didn't realize that he was such a, a good golfer. Yeah, he went into rehab not that much later, I think, after the shoot. And, uh, and hopefully uh, everything's going to work out for him. But the, the, the people who were at the shoot said he was, he was phenomenal. He, you know, he was a great person to work with. And, and I think what's happening is a golf digest is, is we're an approachable publication. We're easy to, for a lot of these celebrities to want to be in. Um, so we're really broadening and we're going after them and we're going to see how it goes. And so far we've been very happy. Right. Well, now, how have, uh, since you're presenting content in new ways, and especially I really like the video behind the scenes of, of the iPad edition, how have the photo shoots changed over the years with the models and, and sort of maybe more things that you're asking them to do during the shoot? And, and of all the celebrities that you've been able to work with, maybe who are some of your favorites? Well, I, I was listening to your ESPN podcast with uh, Chin Wong and and. and you know, she was saying something that's interesting. A lot of the times the art directors were, were kind of grounded at, at home base. The more and more we do uh, across the brand, we do the, you know, print and digital. So what's right. happening more and more is that is that our fashion editors, our director of photography, and our writers are going to the photo shoots and we're more home base. But what's happening is that I've, you know, I've got a couple stories here and there, but I th- what's happening is, I was talking to the fashion editor about this recently. What's happening is that we golf digest employees need to be more and they are need to be more visible at PGA tour events, LPGA tour events, corporate events that these players are are doing. And, and what happens is you start building up a rapport and a, a friendliness with the players and their agents and everybody around them. And they see that golf digest, you know, is, you know, the leader in golf, but it's also our people are not threatening, you know, you, you know, there's nothing to fear by being in the Golf Digest. It's something that's actually really cool. And by these longstanding relationships that I think people have been able to foster, what happens is people, the agents and the players are more open to doing shoots. Clearly, we don't want to do stuff with any player or any celebrity that, that they don't want to do. Um, it's the sort of thing that there's a lot of planning involved. There's a lot of talking about things involved. But also one of the things is, if we say we're going to do an hour shoot, we try to get in under an hour. We want to be people of our word. We're not going to surprise you. We're going to do it in 50 minutes, and we're going to make it easy, and we're going to have the clothes ready for you. We're going to have the stylist. We're ready to go, um, and we're going to treat you like you should be treated for the day. You're, you're being treated like royalty for the day when you come to a Golf Digest shoot, and I think people really appreciate that, and sometimes players will kind of go along with you, but if you go over the shoot, 
they may complain to their agent later on, say, hey, they took me over the shoot. And we don't want to be in that position because we want people to really come out with a positive experience, say, boy, I really love how those photos turned out and I want to do it again. And I actually got an email from a LPGA player yesterday, um, you know, saying, hey, I heard it was in the magazine again. Can you send me the pages? And uh, I love being in Golf Digest. And I was like, that's, that's wonderful to hear. That's awesome. So you know, they clearly have, you know, these, they're brands, you know, right? right? I mean, right. all these pros are brands. They're pretty savvy. I mean, especially the younger players. I mean, Ricky Fowler, you know, he's a great guy. They're, they're so smart about business nowadays that they play ball. Uh, you know, it's, they just don't want to get screwed over. And I, we understand that. You know, but at the same time, we're we're journalism. You know, we're journalists, so we have to still, uh, you know, we still report stories, obviously, right. and you know, we have to be impartial. But clearly, if we want somebody on the cover, we're going to make it a good experience for them. Right now, how much do like the bubbly personalities and that type of thing play into those? Are are you? Um is that something that you're sort of thinking about ahead of time? Whereas maybe you, you might have a, a golfer who maybe isn't known for the most bubbly personality to try to get them to do some edgy yeah, shoot. Yeah, I mean, you, but you, can, you can turn somebody who's, you know, if somebody has a sense of humor, which I think most people do. I mean, you can, you can turn a dour subject and maybe have them do something that they maybe out of their comfort level. I remember years ago, years and years ago, Worth Magazine put Donald, they had Donald Trump hanging upside down in a suit with money coming out of his pockets. And I'm saying to myself, they got him to do that? And it's like, <laughs> and it, says, it says a lot about Donald Trump, you know? It's right. like, wow, he, he, sees, he sees the value in, in photography and print. So I think if you do your planning right, um, you, can, you can definitely get around things. Certain people are obviously more savvy and easier to deal with. I was mentioning like, you know, Ricky Fowler before, uh, you know, Lexi Thompson is certainly trying to change her uh, perception, you know, her brand. Michelle Wee's really great in front of the camera. Rory McIlroy gets it. You know, I mean, it's people like that, that you don't really have too many problems with. Right. Um, but it's, it's again, it's, it's, it goes back to just real simple relationships with the agents and the players that our staff fosters. Right. And it takes a lot of time doing it. So we, you mentioned a little bit earlier about how magazines are really having to do a lot more, and we sort of live in a in a time when print magazines have been folding. However, yes. it's it's obvious that people are very content hungry, maybe more so than they've ever been, right? Right. And and so obviously, me being a fan, I think the content of Golf Digest is great, and it has evolved over time. Uh, but you guys have done some things to present your content in new ways, and you touched on those a little bit earlier with uh, Golf World and Golf Digest Sticks. I was wondering if you could kind of talk a little bit about that sort of transition into digital uh, a little more in depth. Well, Condé Nast as a, as a corporation is is really evolving into a uh, you know a total media company. They're already there. We're already there. But but there's so much more to do. Mobile video, mobile web is really becoming big. So uh, I guess to to answer your question, for me personally, I love doing both. I love designing for the magazine. It's there's something about holding something in your hand that's tangible that is really rewarding. Or if I do a book and I go into Barnes and Noble and it's there. It's like, wow, it's actually on the shelf next to like a, a pretty good book. Right. You know, why, why have my book here? As far as doing digital for Sticks and Golf World, you know, it's been a learning process. Interactivity, hyperlinks, you know, uh, 
all, all the bells and whistles of digital, but it has a different sort of um, a reward to it, which I like. I mean, I, I came in this morning and there was an email in my inbox and the latest issue of Golf Digest 6 was there. And I'm saying, wow, that's pretty cool. And uh, so I'm, I'm finding that if you're creative, you're creative on anything. You, you, can, design, you can design anything, whether it doesn't matter what, whether it's, whether it's print or whether it's digital or whether it's a, a package or, you know, a billboard, or I always want to do like movie posters and things like that. I think creative people just are visual communicators. They, they just love to do, they just love anything that they can get their hands on. You know this, Adam, what's, what's the, to me, you know what, the, the scariest thing and the most fun thing in my life is when I turn on my computer and I go and say InDesign and the screen is blank. I'm like, oh my God. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's, it's, that's what's cool about being a designer is that you have to, cre- you're creating something that there was nothing there before. Right. I'm sure, I'm sure car designers feel the same way or package designers feel the same way. I, I do package design for New York Times. I love doing it. And it's just uh, that sort of thing. So I don't, I, I, maybe I'm not answering your question. I just, um, I just think that there's a lot of reward in both. And you, I think nowadays to succeed in the big magazine companies, you really have to dip your toe in a lot of different pools of water, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I would actually wholeheartedly agree with that as someone that kind of does a little bit of, of everything. I, I sort of just focus on one vertical market in, in sports, but you know, like I, in the last year, you'd like, I've worked on packaging design to interface right. design to uh, right now I'm doing a brand identity for a division three college athletic program. So I think that it's good to sort of have that broad range of, of, uh, cause those are just the skills, right. But like the ideas and things, that's the main thing. Right. And, and I sort of subscribe to the Massimo Vignelli quote. Uh, if, <laughs> if, if you can design one thing, you can design everything. That's sort of yes. my main thing. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you say about quotes because, uh, I, I have a couple, couple design quotes that I, I really like. And, um, you know, Saul Bass, you know, the, right. the, the, the great Saul Bass. He just, you can't say enough about you know, the, the movie posters and the, and the, the titles. And it's just amazing. And he just says something so simple. He goes, I want to make beautiful things, even if nobody cares, as opposed to ugly things. And he goes, that's my intent. Right. And I, I think, you know, I try to, and I'm sure you see this in your own career, Adam. It's like, you try to challenge yourself in that, uh, boy, I never designed a package before. How the heck would I do that? But if you get the call to design a package, you're going to find a way because in the end, you're a visual communicator. You're, you're, you're a designer. You're an art director. You'll find a way to do that. And sometimes with illustrators, when we hire freelance illustrators or even photographers, sometimes it's good to hire them for something they not normally would do to try to, try to push them. Because lots of times I think illustrators get hired for what's on their website right. or what somebody saw in a magazine. But occasionally it's a good thing to call the illustrator up and say, you know what, I got something that's just way off the grid and, uh, and see if they'll bite. And, and you know what? Most of these guys do and, and women do. They bite they, and, and they take the challenge. And they'll, sometimes they'll come back and say, wow, that was the most frustrating thing I ever did, but it was also the most rewarding. I didn't think I could do that. 
whole different style, whole different idea. And I think we should do more of that. Yeah, absolutely. And even just almost in anything in business or whatever, just kind of pushing yourself to be right. uncomfortable. And, and that's the whole thing with this podcast too. I know we were talking about that a little bit before the show, but this whole thing was sort of an experiment to push myself to, to do something that's uncomfortable, to put yourself out there to sort of be judged, you know? And, uh, yeah, and you've really done it because I think I, I think I've heard a couple of your podcasts, and I think creative people, like certainly like myself, it's like we're always not the most eloquent people. Or we're in our cubes all the time, or we're or we're just thinking of ideas, but we're not we're not really uh, on TV or radio or too much. So sometimes we have a hard time uh, when we have to speak in front of crowds about uh, communication. So I think this is a good thing to get us all out of our comfort level and talk design. Right. And, you know, actually part of the sort of art form behind this uh, really circles back around to kind of what you guys are doing with your your athletes as well, where it's, you're, you're kind of coming out and posing no threat, right? Like it's, you, right. you guys technically know my personality by now, if you listen to the show, I mean, it's, it's very transparent. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, it, it's, it's with it's with the athletes because they really are athletes. Is is it just to try to bring their personalities into the pages? We're not trying to be phony or have them do stuff that's not their comfort level. But Lexi Thompson and Michelle Wee, going back to them, they love to work out. Johnny Manziel loves football, but he also loves golf. It's like Jimmy Fallon loves being on Tonight Show, but he but he's he's a closet crazy golfer, and those are all things that. Uh, that we want to exude in the pages of Golf Digest. Well, and, and let, you know, let's be honest. I mean, I think uh, historically golfers, especially just casual golfers, have a, a, tend to get really out of shape and they think it's the game where you don't have to be in shape. And people are yeah. that you're putting on your covers are, and especially Tiger Woods really spearheaded this, but they're debunking those myths that you can be a great athlete and it makes you be a yeah. better golfer. Well, Tiger, Tiger made the older players when he came up, as you know, really take a look at fitness and nutrition and health. And now you see the whole range of young golfers coming up. Dustin Johnson, Roy McIlroy, Keegan Bradley. None of these guys are in bad shape. Right. I mean, they're they're all in great shape. Well, and, and, and it's because it's all a part of their life. Right. And well, you, I remember when Phil Mickelson lost like what thirty some pounds or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After he he's saw in the, what probably he did the best Tiger. shape of his life in the last twenty years, probably now. And look what happened at the Masters. He he. If it wasn't for how how great Jordan Spieth was, Phil could have pulled it out. Right. Right. Well, kind of staying on the sort of digital world a little bit, interface designers um, are today, uh, digital product design is at an all-time high. Obviously, we know that. And interface designers are consistently working to complete the most easily usable yet beautiful interface. Now, personally, I believe that magazines really spearheaded interface design and print with things like table of contents and uh, that, you know, sort of acts as a primary navigation. And then you have pagination and then different things like that and other design elements that sort of create a path through the content. So how important is interface design when it comes to designing small buttons or graphics or interactive pieces from in, in the digital magazine? Well, it's all really important. I mean, I think for us, everything, you know, we have a web, we have a web department and they kind of follow the lead of the magazine, but they also do their own things. But for us, I'll speak specifically for the iPad and the Kindle and, and sticks and golf world is, is we're trying to, we're trying to make the interface and the things that we come up with things that would work in, in the magazine. They, they feel like they fit. They're just not, 
stock buttons or 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 something you know what i'm saying like right. something a little odd it fits within the family of golf digest so just because it's going digital doesn't mean it doesn't need the same care uh as a as some typography in the magazine so we have built libraries essentially of of buttons and little tools and little dingbats and arrows and all sorts of stuff that could run in the magazine if they weren't in digital they can kind of go back and forth between the two so just from a purely design perspective, we're trying to have an even flow from Golf Digest to Golf World of Sticks. So essentially what we did is we, we redesigned, after the magazine was redesigned, which again is the mothership, we redesigned Golf World and um, Sticks without Pentagram on our own based off the Pentagram template. And that's now our, lack of a better word, interface uh, for uh, for the digital products. So it looks like it's all seamless. Like the brand is just extending into digital and it's really the same brand that you see in the magazine as you're going to see on the web, as you're going to see in our mobile video, as you're going to see in sticks and golf world. Now, is there any kind of testing or anything that you're able to do with, in regards to like, say I open up the iPad app and you know, the little like plus buttons or anything like that, where you're able to see like our users actually clicking this and, and, expanding that content to see the extra stuff that doesn't necessarily show initially? That's a great question. <laughs> um, I, I, we get a monthly report about about the website, essentially what the big hits are. Not so much as we get more download information about the iPad and the Kindle. And then we just, as far as whether people are clicking on stuff, like we'll have editors or people who are, we have a, a one man who's uh, in charge of editorial development, he'll say, I'm getting response from the readers that this button isn't prominent enough or people don't know what this button means. So we, at the beginning, we used to label everything, you know, like an open button would say open or, right. or, or tap or something like that. But, but I think certain things become universal and X means close. So it's, right. I think the readers get used to things. And it's also if it helps if the things they see in the magazine, then it helps them. Oh, I get it. I see in the magazine. But we do get good data, I think, about what people are reading, um, especially on the uh, on the internet, right. on our website. So uh, t- transitioning a little bit more, I mean, as an art director, obviously you are responsible for finding illustrators and other creative right. contributors. And and I know with all the things that we've talked about, the magazine takes up quite a bit of time and, and not, not to even mention the freelance on the side. So yeah. <laughs> what, what are some of the ways you stay in tune with what's trendy and what talent is out there and maybe even discovering new talent? Well, dribble, obviously. Oh, okay, you know, yeah. People, people, you know, keep talking about about that. And uh, I think I get so many emails just from illustrators and photographers. I'd probably get 10 a day. And, and I'm sure Ken gets probably three times that. I still get cards in the mail from illustrators, which I, I think is so cool that they're still sending, you know, the illustration cards. Oh, right. Uh, or nice packages, but, you know, here, Tim, here's something I just did. We keep me in mind for the future. And obviously illustrators also have reps that will contact us. Right. But I think it's really, I think it's really us. It really is reliant on the art directors and designers to go find talent. There's so much talent out there. There's so many people out there and there's not that many of us. 
that can be good and bad. Uh, we can rely on a certain stable of illustrators. I, every magazine does. There's, I'm sure there's all illustrators that they really like, that they know they can count on, especially under deadline. They get the magazine. So it's really upon us. I, I go on the web. I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at other publications. I'm looking at websites. Uh, I'm looking, I, I think illustrators and photographers have some of the best websites out there. You know, they, they're just so quick to, they're always leading the change, it seems like. Right. You know, so especially it, ha- it happened to me at the Times. If you've got a second, at the, years ago, I was at the Times in the 90s. And and a quick story in that the, uh, I used to have illustrators come in to, to New York Times once a week. I would say every Wednesday, you can come in and show me your portfolio. And I just started getting, and Steve Heller at the Times told me, this is not a good idea. He does the same thing. He goes, you're going to, you can't say yes to everybody. But I would have them come in and they were coming in from, you know, they, they all lived in Brooklyn or Queens or lower Manhattan. And they would come in on Wednesdays, show me their portfolios. And we would hire some of them because back then we had no, they would, they would draw in a day or two and then they would either bring it into the office or they would FedEx it to us. But then one day I'm on deadline uh, for something I did business design and and somebody said I'll email you a sketch and it was like 95 or 96 I said what <laughs> <laughs> so he emailed me a sketch I got called into the um, the, I, the head of IT's office and said what are you doing you're going to crash our whole email system you're having sketches emailed to you I said she goes that's not what the email's for I said but that's what the illustrator did so we went from fax machines and FedEx to now everything's digital and the illustrators and the photographers are the ones that kind of led the way. And now I don't remember the last time I got something delivered to me by FedEx. Everything is now digital. Right. So it's really interesting how to circle back to what you were asking is it's now it's dependent on me to go out and try to find people as much as it is for them to to look for me. Right. Well, kind of staying on this freelance path, you yourself do a lot of freelancing and you've worked on a few book designs for some professional golfers and many listeners to this podcast have a full-time job and they also freelance as well. So in a demanding job such as yours in a very prominent publication, how do you balance both and keep from burning out? Well, first and foremost, I I have, I have good bosses. So they're, they allow me to to freelance. Uh, I think freelance is a good outlet and it helps you in your daily job because especially when you've been at a place a long time, it's, it's, a, it's another outlet for creativity. It's another way to challenge yourself. Obviously, you make some extra money on the side, which is always a good thing for your family. But I like to push myself. I don't want to just be known as the direct, art director of Golf Digest. I want to be known as a, as a designer. I want to be known as somebody who creates stuff. So, or beautiful things, as Sal, as Sal Bass said. So, so the balance is really, a, you know, it's reliant on me. So, you have to have two good things, I think, when you're a freelancer. You, <laughs> you have to have a really good computer and a really understanding spouse. And, oh, right. uh, and I seem to have both of those. Oh, I definitely have both of those with my spouse, with Teresa. She's fantastic. Um, but uh, I think it's, a lot of, it's, it's like a lot of freelancers. The jobs come up. They seem to come up in bunches or they don't come up at all. And it's, it's balancing. It's like, okay, I have to work late at night at home. I have to stay up tonight. Or uh, I got to work this weekend. And it's like anything. If you really want the job and you really find it interesting, you'll find the time. I mean, like any freelancer, I mean, we're always trying to say, you know, push the deadline here or there or, 
you get to know your client pretty well and, and you build up a relationship that way. But um, it's, it's a work-life balance like, any, like anything. Right. But I'm sure you deal with it every day. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Tim, as, as someone uh, myself personally for, uh, that's ran their own business for nearly 10 years, um, I, I see that you have taken the steps to set up a corporation for your freelancing. So I'm curious if you've ever sort of considered jumping out into the full-time entrepreneurship world. Well, I've got kids that put through college. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Have I thought about it? Oh, sure. Of course I've thought about it. I mean, in an American way, right? Work for yourself. Be your own boss. How great is that? Uh, Even as a freelancer, though, you're going to work for somebody else. I I really have a lot of admiration for people who do that, who start their own companies and who just just dive right in and do it. I've definitely thought about it. Uh, It's the sort of thing where I'm saying – is it going to be so nerve-wracking that I, that I can't, I, I'm going to go crazy? Um, am I going to always be, you know, there's, you know how it is. There's the hunting for the work and then there's actually right. doing the work. So do you need to be in a partnership where you have somebody who's the hunter and somebody who's the designer? Or do you do it yourself? And, uh, you know, that day may come, clearly, I mean, for, for all of us. And uh, it's the sort of thing that I, I definitely think about. But I also love Golf Digest and I love, I love sports and I love design. So it's, it's kind of like I have the best of both worlds right now. So I wasn't looking to just – I'm not ready to give up one. Right. No, I think there's definitely a lot to be said for that. I mean there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with loving your, your job, you know, and, and sticking in it forever if, if you can. Like if you're fortunate yeah. enough to have that uh, opportunity. Right, right. And like I said, I, I've – I I, I uh, love sports and I love design and and I've learned to love golf. I wasn't a golfer when I came here and uh, I haven't found anything to top it yet. I loved working at the New York Times, so I feel like I've been at the top at the New York Times. I mean, it's top not top job, but certainly a top publication. New York Times, like oh my god, I work there, and it was amazing experience. And now I feel like this, I'm at in golf or in sports. I'm kind of you know. Golf Digest is, is at that same level in their world, and uh, it's pretty cool. Right. Well, uh, Tim, I, you know, I'm really surprised that uh, you, you'd mentioned earlier that Golf Digest is headquartered up in Connecticut. Uh, right. And, and I, I was thinking that it was in New York City, obviously, because of Condé Nast. But right. I, I'm curious, how, how much golf do you guys get to actually play up there? I, I would think that it, you guys would be located in Florida or Arizona, where the, a lot of golfers live. Yes, I, that's the that's the, the the weird the weird part of it. The, the magazine was founded by I think two gentlemen from Illinois, and uh, and it ended up uh, by different circumstances. You know, sixty five years ago, it ended up in in Connecticut. Um, we've moved around within Connecticut. We were owned by the New York Times for quite a while, and even when we were owned by the New York Times, we we were had a base in Connecticut. The magazine has a has a mix of New Yorkers and and people based in Connecticut, older and younger. Um, But I think our editor feels strongly that we belong in Connecticut where there's green grass and there's the sun. It hasn't been that way until this month. We had really bad weather this winter. So there is a lot of golf to be played, uh, believe it or not, within the state. But also the fact that we're close to New York, which is great. Uh, We're close to a lot of the... um, you know, the agents, the players when they come up here, the corporation, obviously, that we belong to. 
But a lot of our staff is traveling throughout the year. In, they were just all in Augusta. Or there are a lot of the players, as you know, live in Florida. They live in Texas for weather reasons, for tax reasons, things like that. So our staff is around the country all the time. When you come in uh, every day, it's like, okay, where's Marty? Where's the photo director, Christian? Where's so-and-so? And usually they're on a shoot or they're, they're going to meet a player. We just had our writer, Guy Yoakum, just went to New Zealand and back uh, in, I think, a four- or five-day span to interview uh, Tiger Woods' former caddy, Steve Williams. And then he had to go out on a plane after he came back uh, to go to St. Louis and interview Joe Buck, so <laughs> from Fox. So yeah. they're all over the place. Yeah, sounds like it. Well, Tim, so New York's the, a good base, I guess, yeah, is what I'm saying. Right, right. Well, Tim, to kind of wrap up here, uh, the game of golf itself has become a little bit more entrepreneurial. And I think we saw Arnold Palmer, he really sort of spearheaded years ago uh, as the king of sports marketing and entrepreneurship and founding IMG and the Golf Channel. Right. And, and as you mentioned earlier, we've seen things like Top Golf pop up and also many independent golf websites or maybe some innovative merchandise and apparel as someone that's deeply ingrained in the game, such as yourself, both in writing content and designing, and also just generally being around golf. Can you give us some closing thoughts on the future of golf as it regards to sports design, innovation, and maybe even entrepreneurship itself? Well, I think the future of golf is really bright. I mean, starting with who's on top of the PGA and LPGA tours, when you you look at Rory McIlroy and Jordan Spieth and, and Lexi Thompson and Michelle Wee, you know, uh, Stacy Lewis. The game is in good hands from, from the fact that there are young players coming up that are going to keep this game, you know, rocking <laughs> for years to come that are really exciting uh, players with really good stories. So from that standpoint, I think the game is strong and we still have Tiger and Phil fighting things out. They're still relevant. So from that point, I think things are strong. From uh, entrepreneurs, uh, I guess, uh, view of things, you know, there's websites like Kickstarter and stuff where you can, we just wrote about them, where you can go on and if you have a great idea about golf and you want to be funded, you might find a bunch of investors that are going to, that are going to fund it and you might be on Shark Tank before you know it or you might oh, right. be selling something on Amazon. So golf and is so has so much great design in it to begin with. When you look at, I didn't really appreciate this until I came to Golf Digest. But when you look at the dimples of a ball, or when you open up a ball, or you look at the, um, uh, you know, the grooves of an iron, uh, or the head of a driver, there's a, there's a lot of great design going in into golf. So I think there's a, there's a lot of design jobs probably out there for people who are interested in golf, whether it's within publications like Golf Digest or whether it's uh, starting their own company, or whether it's working for one of the equipment manufacturers, because most of them are based in the United States. Um, although there's been some consolidation in the industry, there's still a lot of opportunities, I think, for people who are into sports and into design right. and into golf. Right. And, and, and even maybe things like Top Golf, where you kind of take something that exists and package it up in a completely different way to appeal yeah. to new, a new audience. Top Golf is an exciting venture that Golf Digest is, is very interested in. And, uh, you know, doing some things on the side with, with Top Golf is that uh, to, the whole idea of creating uh, just a millennial friendly environment where 
again, golf is not threat is non-threatening. It's part of your dating experience or part of your bar scene with your friends or, you know, just kicking back and relaxing. And and golf should be a, a, a leisurely, passionate activity. And the whole definition of golf that Top Golf is rewriting about it doesn't have to be 18 holes five years away from your five hours, five years, five it feels like five years away. I play five hours <laughs> away from your spouse and and uh, just an old boys club. That's that's not the story of golf, and it's a story that really needs to be told. And I think Golf Digest and Top Golf and and the equipment manufacturers uh, with their websites and their marketing are telling are starting to tell that story. And you're so for us, Jordan Spieth and these other players rising up. And, and looking fit and well-designed clothes. And it's not a surprise to us because, because we've been seeing that and we're trying to get that story out to everybody. Right. Well, Tim, I appreciate it. Uh, let's kind of wrap up here. Where can our listeners support you, maybe reach out to you, follow you on Twitter, that type of thing? Uh, let's see. I have a website, uh, Timothy P, as in Patrick Oliver, timothypoliver.com, and they can certainly get me through there. Um, I, uh, have no problem giving out my email. I'm tim.oliver at golfdigest.com. If I don't get back to you immediately, don't hold it against me. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's somebody who wants something, you know, but I, I try to return as much as I can. Um, and then on Twitter, I'm, uh, uh it's been, been a while, uh, at, uh, Timothy Oliver is my Twitter handle. Sounds good, Tim. I appreciate you coming on. Hey, I really, Adam, I really appreciate that you're even thinking of me because you're becoming a rock star in the sports design business. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't go that far yet, but I I, I definitely enjoy talking to the rock stars. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you find somebody here, let me know. uh, Yeah, that's fine. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks again, man. My next guest is going to be Tom O'Grady. If you listen to this show, you know that I'm a diehard NBA fan of the 90s. Tom was a leader on many team rebrands in the 90s and was actually hired by David Cern as the league's first creative director. He worked for the NBA for 13 years before leaving to start his own creative firm, Game Plan Creative, up in Chicago, where he has been a partner and chief creative officer for 12-plus years, working with teams such as the Chicago Blackhawks, Chicago Cubs, Houston Astros, Houston Texans, New York, all of the New York teams, the Jets, Giants, and Yankees, and many more. Big thanks again to Tim Oliver for coming on the show and giving us some of his time. Again, you can go check out his website, timothypoliver.com. And as a fan of Golf Digest, I highly recommend that you subscribe to, to this publication, whether that's on iPad or in print. If you are not someone that likes golf, it still has fantastic design. And obviously those of us that listen to the show are extremely interested in that. We sort of live in that world. They do a good job in terms of innovation, content, and adapting to the future of media. So definitely go check them out, golfdigest.com. A couple of things real quick. If you missed the last halftime episode, I discussed why you should budget time and money to go to small creative conferences. I just got back from Creative South where I hung with former guests TJ Harley, Fraser Davidson, Joe Bosack, Todd Radom, Bill Fredick, 
Frederick, and a, a few other listeners. I recap some of the conference on that show, so you can go check that out at makersofsport.com slash episodes. Lastly, please take one to two minutes and head over to makersofsport.com slash iTunes, hit the five star, and write about your experience with the show. It helps the show get discovered by others, and it helps us all to do our part by driving the quality and the education of this particular niche of design forward. So if you've gotten any kind of value for myself or any of the guests on the show, including Tim today, then please share this podcast and rate the content so that others can discover that value for themselves as well. As always, I'll accept any likes, ratings, or reviews on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whichever application you happen to be listening in. I'm at T. Adam Martin on Twitter and Dribble. The show is at Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week.